0: I'm Josh Escobedo with Weintraub Tobin.
1: And I'm Scott Hervey from Weintraub Tobin. Trademarks perform a number of important functions. They are consumer road signs. They tell customers what products to buy. They are a company's public persona. They epitomize all the positive and negative qualities of a company or product. Lastly, trademarks represent a solemn promise to the purchasing public that the products or services branded with a company's mark will meet certain standards. Yet. Even with marks as important as they are, some businesses select marks that are intrinsically weak and have limited protection. We're going to talk about the spectrum of trademark strength on this installment of the briefing by the IP Law Blog. Trademarks can be one of the most valuable assets a company can own. Trademarks generate brand equity based on the amount a consumer will pay for a branded product as compared to a non-branded product. For some companies, brand equity can make up a substantial portion of its value.
0: In business, branding comes as second nature. In order to survive in a competitive environment, a business must separate itself and its product from the pack and summarize these differences in a concise and succinct manner. This is even more important for emerging companies who are new to the field and in competition against established businesses with market share.
1: Given the important functions of trademarks, it's imperative that an emerging company identify its marks, analyze whether the marks are strong or weak, and then protect the stronger marks from infringement or being diluted and from being generic due to public misuse.
0: For the most part, a trademark can be anything. According to the Lanham Act, the federal law that deals with trademark issues, a trademark can be a word, a saying, or a logo. A trademark can even consist of a sound, think intel, color, pink for corningware fiberglass insulation, or smell. As long as the proposed mark meets the essential purpose of functioning as a trademark, that is, it serves to identify the manufacturer of the goods or provider of the services, it can properly be categorized as a trademark. The proposed mark must mentally trigger an association between the mark owner and the goods or services bearing the mark. Otherwise, it is not a trademark.
1: And while it's true that a trademark can be anything, not everything can
0: or should be a trademark. That's right, Scott. There are certain marks that will be denied protection as a trademark. Marks which disparage any person living or dead, institutions, beliefs, or national symbols are not registrable or protectable.
1: Neither are marks which resemble flags or codes of arms or other insignias of the United States or any state or municipality or of any foreign nation, or marks which utilize the name or portrait or signature of a particular living individual without that individual's consent. Also, marks which consist or comprise of a portrait of a deceased president of the United States are are not registrable during the life of the president's widow except by written consent of the widow. In addition, certain organizations by acts of Congress have been granted exclusive rights to use certain marks. For example, the United States Olympic Committee has been granted the exclusive rights to use a number of Olympic symbols, marks, and terms.
0: Marks which describe the intended purpose, function, or use of the goods, the size of the goods, desirable characteristics of the goods, the nature of the goods, or the end effect upon the user are really not the best choice for a trademark. This type of mark is considered merely descriptive and is not registrable on the principal register, absent
1: established secondary meaning. It's ironic, Josh, how often companies gravitate towards a descriptive mark. The pension for a descriptive mark was explained to me by a client. They work because the consumer knows exactly what they're getting. I mean, that's useful in the short term, but it does nothing for brand building.
0: Here are a few examples of descriptive marks. Nice and soft for bathroom tissue or park and fly for off airport auto parking services, those are descriptive marks. The same is true with respect to marks that identify the place in which the goods or services originate and are therefore geographically
1: descriptive. The major reason for not protecting marks that are merely descriptive is to prevent the owner from the mark from inhibiting competition in the sale of the particular good and to maintain freedom of the public to use language which naturally describes the goods or services, thus, avoiding the possibility of harassing infringement suits by the registrant against others who use the mark when advertising or describing their own product.
0: Marks that are merely self-laudatory and descriptive of the alleged merit of a product are regarded as being descriptive as well. Laudation does not per se prevent a slogan or mark from being registrable. Like other descriptive marks, a mark is self-laudatory and but may be registrable upon establishing secondary meaning. However, courts have refused registration even on the supplemental register of marks that are so highly laudatory and descriptive of the alleged product That they are incapable of functioning as a trademark.
1: One step up from a descriptive mark, but miles away as far as predictability goes, are suggestive marks. Suggestive marks are registrable on the principal register without proof of secondary meaning. Suggestive marks are those uh, which, while not really descriptive of the product's qualities, nevertheless suggest some sort of benefit or property of the product. An example involves roach motel for insect traps in which Uh, This mark was enforced against an infringer using Roach Inn. Uh, The court explained as follows. We do not find the mark Roach Motel to be merely descriptive. While roaches may live in some motels against the will of the owners, motels are surely not built for roaches to live in. Hence, the mark is fanciful on conception. Indeed, its very incongruity is what catches one's attention.
0: The determination of whether a mark is merely descriptive and therefore not registrable, absent evidence of secondary meaning, or merely suggestive, has always been a challenging task. The trademark trial and appeal board, the quasi-judicial body, the determination of whether a mark is merely descriptive and therefore not registrable, absent evidence of secondary meaning, or suggestive, has always been a challenging task. The Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, the quasi-judicial body responsible for adjudicating issues which arise concerning the registration of a trademark, has opined that there is a thin line of demarcation involved in making such a determination as to whether the term or slogan is suggestive or merely descriptive, and apropos thereto when a term stops suggesting and begins to describe the goods in connection with which it is used. It's at times, damn, that's a fucking wordy ass sentence by the court. (laughs) The determination of whether a mark is merely descriptive and therefore not registrable, absent evidence of secondary meaning, or merely suggestive has always, no. The determination of whether a mark is merely descriptive and therefore not registrable, absent evidence of secondary meaning, or suggestive has always been a challenging task. The Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, the quasi-judicial body responsible for adjudicating issues which arise concerning the registration of a trademark, has opined that there is, quote, a thin line of demarcation involved in making a determination as to whether a term or slogan is suggestive or merely descriptive, and, apropos, thereto, when a term stops suggesting and begins to describe the goods in connection with which it is used, it is, at times, a difficult question to resolve.
1: I've used that sentence before in my trademark opinions to my clients. Hearing you say it out loud, Josh, that's the longest sentence I think I've ever heard. The board suggested that in determining whether a mark uh, has crossed the threshold from suggestiveness to descriptiveness, the following factors should be analyzed. One, is the mark used in a trademark sense and not in a descriptive manner to describe the goods? Two, is the mark an expression that would be or is commonly used to describe the goods? Three, does the mark possess some degree of ingenuity in its phraseology?
0: Or does the mark say something at least a little different from what might be expected from a product or say expected things in an unexpected way? Or five, does the mark possess more than a single meaning namely a double entendre which imparts to it a degree of ingenuity and successfully masks or somewhat obscures
1: the intended commercial message the strongest marks are those which are coined words having no intrinsic meaning or arbitrary words which although they might exist as words in the english language have no conceivable rational connection to the product for example yahoo or google like Yahoo was an arbitrary word. It it had a meaning in the English language, but as applied to a search engine, it had no rational connection. And then Google was a completely made up word. Because these coined or arbitrary marks are inherently distinctive, no proof of secondary meaning is necessary before a court will protect them. And the trademark rights of these marks are very, very, very strong. So to sum it all up, um, uh, companies should really focus on brands that are um, the strongest, the arbitrary words or the coined words. And if you you can't choose those words for one reason or other, because maybe you don't have as much branding dollars to spend on building brand value, because it does take quite a bit of money to build, the association between an arbitrary or a coin word and your product or your service, focus on a suggestive mark as opposed to a merely descriptive mark because you'll have a very hard time uh, policing your descriptive trademark. That's a very good point, Scott. Uh, If only
0: everyone gave this consideration before creating their marks, or at least before creating goodwill in those marks.
1: Yeah, I agree, Josh. I agree.
0: Thanks for tuning into this installment of the briefing by the IP Law Blog. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. And if you have a good review, please be sure to leave that review. If it's bad, don't worry about it. And if you like our content, be sure to visit our website at theiplawblog.com. Thanks.